Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our reading today is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. You may find this text at page 242 of your Pew Bible. First, let us prepare our hearts. O Lord our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I, am not, am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. 
primary things we know about Hannah are that she is married and she is childless. In Hannah's own time and in her own cultural context, childlessness indicates a life fraught with insecurity. Hannah most likely outlives her husband, and so the responsibility of caring for her falls to her oldest son. Without a son, Hannah has no one to support her, and her life would most likely end in extreme poverty. Being married and having a son are the only ways Hannah can ensure a life filled with care and security. It might be hard for our modern ears to fully comprehend Hannah's social and cultural context. It might be even more difficult for us to grasp the depth of Hannah's desperation. As you know, in our own society, we have modern health insurance for some, we have Medicare and Social Security. We have built a foundation of security in our society that would have been unattainable for our biblical Hannah. In addition, we have a society that allows women and men to choose if they want children or not through birth control, family planning, and reproductive assistance. In today's world, having children may help some of us feel more emotionally, spiritually, or biologically complete or secure. We do not, like Hannah, have to depend upon our children physically. But some of us desire, some of us even struggle to achieve having children. And... We have many women and men who intimately understand the struggle that Hannah and her husband are going through, the struggle to conceive and bear children. Hannah not only wants a secure future, she also deeply wanted to feel a tiny hand holding hers. She wanted to feel the joy of feeling tiny human life growing inside her womb. Hannah's need to have children didn't only represent her lack of place in society. Hannah felt, uh, Hannah felt what some people feel, the need to reproduce, the need to bear children. And she can't. The text tells us that it was over many, many years that her body simply will not cooperate her body, she so desires to conceive and bear children, and her body simply won't let her. The story of Hannah illustrates for us an infertility struggle. Our larger biblical narrative is full of infertility struggles. One commenter even suggests that the story of God's people is even built upon the story of infertility. She builds this and suggests this from the stories of Abraham and Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah, and even Elizabeth in the Gospel of Luke. Although this could be too narrow a reading, it is one that suggests that this topic is important to the people of God. 
It supports the idea that if the predominantly male writers of the Bible included such a detailed story about Hannah and so many stories of infertility in the Bible, perhaps we too need to pay attention. Another commenter suggests that the inclusion of such detailed accounts of these infertility journeys suggests that fertility and childbirth are of deep importance to God. They are issues that are worthy, deeply worthy, of God's attention. For some of you, simply hearing the term infertility from a pulpit will cause you to pause deeply. For others of you, you may have never even heard the term infertility. So to get us all on the same page, I will define infertility as the desire for a person to attempt to conceive and bear a child over at least a year without success. Some of you might be wondering, what's the prevalence of this? Well, 13% is the number. Look around the room. The numbers tell us that about, well, over one in every 10 couples will have experienced or is currently experiencing an infertility struggle. What I am certain of is that you know a Hannah, even if you don't know that you know a Hannah. There are Hannahs living life while bearing the sadness and pain of our biblical Hannah. There are Hannahs who have begged God, pleaded with God to give them a child. And the answer is no. There are Hannahs whose longing is met with the absence of cries of a child. I have been a modern Hannah. I have begged God, pleaded with my body, and sought counsel with incredible doctors to get pregnant. After each cycle that the test came up negative, all I could feel was a deep sadness that was placed over my world like a pall. And only days after each failed test, we were back at it, full of hope, full of promise, full of asking God to grant life within me. Each time we went for another round with the fertility, te- with the fertility team, I wondered, is this time going to be it? And at the same time, I would wonder if God was even going to grant me this prayer. I have walked with many women and men who have longed to be with a child and yet have found themselves in a seemingly endless cycle of attempting to create life. What strikes me about our biblical Hannah is that she continually goes to God about wanting a son. The text tells us that it's over the course of years and years in the midst of severe ridicule, that Hannah goes to the temple year after year and prays. 
This story shows us that in the midst of her deep discontentment, she goes to the temple, she prays, she cries to God, and she even makes a deal with God. Hannah's story shows us that her infertility struggle is not separate from her faith journey. She keeps asking, she keeps praying, she keeps going to temple. If our biblical Hannah lived today, she would be consulting doctors, learning to give herself shots, and would be taking handfuls of supplements daily. Just as in our text we find Hannah weeping on the temple floor, so too we would find Hannah today weeping on doctors' tables. I wonder, though, if we as a church, if we as a faith community know how to walk with the Hannahs out there. How do we pray with those who are discovering that it can be hard to get pregnant? How do we pray with those who are in the midst of these endless cycles? How do we keep praying with those who have had to say, we've tried and God has told us no. On Christmas Eve, in the midst of my fertility treatments, I sat in church. I'd had a miscarriage about three months earlier, and I watched all the families gather with children and grandchildren and grandparents in their beautiful Christmas Eve attire. I heard the familiar stories that we hear at Christmas time. I sang the familiar Christmas carols that we sing. And I heard all the words talking about baby Jesus. These words carried with them an anticipation of a baby, coupled with them the sadness that I would not get to experience that. Nowhere seemed like the place to talk about my infertility struggle. Perhaps it was my own insecurity. Perhaps it was fear. Perhaps it was the tension of talking about infertility during a season of celebrating Mary's baby, Jesus. Hannah's faithfulness is really an example to which I look because if I tell you the truth, it would be that after two years of trying to conceive, I was done. I was on my last cycle, and I do not think I could have tried for years and years to get pregnant like Hannah did. In many ways, Hannah shows us an audacious faith. She knows that she is asking God to grant her a child, and she persistently prays these prayers to God. God hears Hannah's prayers, and God receives all of her prayers, including the ones that are perceived as drunken prayers. God takes the prayers that Hannah prays and answers it, answers them not just with a child, but with Samuel. Samuel, who will go on to anoint the kings of Israel. 
Hannah in the temple did not know she was praying to be part of God's salvation history. For her, she was simply praying for God's no to turn into a yes. So in order to be super clear with you all today, I'm going to tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that coming to church and praying will result in a baby or will will result in an end to your own struggle. I'm not saying that a baby will complete your life or will fill up your emptiness. And I'm not even saying there's inherent wholeness in having and raising children. I'm not saying that prayer is more important than going to doctors. What I am saying is that having children or not having children, when to have children, the ability to have children, and how to raise children is one that is deeply deeply tied up in our own faith journey. In the end, Hannah did become pregnant with Samuel, who leads us on the continued path of God's covenant with the Israelite people. In the end, I did become pregnant with Sarah and Lucas, but not every infertility struggle ends with a child. Each of us, each of you have struggles. We all have places that we desperately want God to show up and to turn a no into a yes. So where are those places for you? Where are those places that you need to look to Hannah for an audacious faith? What we know, what we proclaim Sunday after Sunday, day after day, is that we believe in a God who promises in the end that God will indeed wipe every tear from our eye and there will be no more mourning, no more crying, and pain will be no more. We pray all of this in the name of the God who grants wholeness, the God who grants hope, and the God who grants peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.